In the lead up to Christmas last year, I preached uh, in the Advent season on Matthew chapter 1. And within that passage, we read about the genealogy of Jesus. And I mentioned that it's not necessarily a really exciting passage to read. Actually, often when we see a whole list of names, we just skip over them. And within that passage in Matthew chapter 1, verse 4, where Ram is the father of Aminadab, Aminadab is the father of Nashon, Nashon's the father of Salmon, I said in that sermon, it's not like someone is at home cross-stitching that verse to put in a frame and put on their mantelpiece. And then I went on to explain how important the genealogy was and how it is actually a very important chapter in our Bible. Well, for Christmas, a very clever and creative person gave to me a framed cross-stitch of Matthew chapter 1, verse 4, which, thank you, Jane Orr, I have in my office pride of place. And it brings me so much joy every time I come to work because of the meaning behind it. Now, Matthew chapter 1 maybe isn't the most cross-stitchable phrases for 99.9% of the population. But today we are going to look at a passage in Philippians chapter 4. And every single verse in this passage is a cross-stitchable, yes, that is a word, I've just made it a word, verse. It's a verse that you could cross-stitch and put on your mantelpiece so you remembered every day. If you're not a crafty person, maybe it's a verse that you could take a screenshot of and have on the wallpaper of your phone. There are verses, every single verse in this passage, you could write on a post-it note, stick it to your coffee mug so that you would read it every single day. You could put it on your bathroom mirror so that every day you could read any one of these verses that we're going to read today. And if you decided to live by even one of these verses, then your life would be changed for the better. Because there are many different crafts that have been made out of the verses that we're going to read. But they are words to live by. There is reason why these verses have been put into things so precious as pillows and frames and crafts. So let's read. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4 to verse 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, 
whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace and the God of peace will be with you. We're going to unpack these verses today and it is my prayer for you that as you listen to these verses, as you think upon them potentially as words to live by, that maybe one of these verses will resound with you for where you are at, for the season you are in, and it will make a difference to you today and to your week ahead. So let's look at the first verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. In a a previous church that I was a part of, one of our congregation members uh, had a son who was a haemophiliac. Therefore, if ever he bruised himself or cut himself, it is an issue with the the clotting of the blood. So it would be really dangerous and they would have to be really careful in the different activities that he did. And this one particular week, I had noticed on Facebook that they'd actually been in hospital with him. He'd had an accident and he had to be hospitalised in order for him to be safe and healthy and to be able to get well. Well, uh, this, the Sunday came and I went to church and I was standing in the congregation and the worship was happening. And as it was going on, this family arrived at church, walked up near the front, found themselves a seat. And as soon as they sat down and they got themselves sorted, They then turned towards the front and started worshipping God. Even though I was sitting a couple of rows behind them, I could tell that they were worshipping. They were singing along. They had their arms raised in worship. They were engaged in the whole service. And as I watched them worship, I was filled with so much awe and inspiration that this family who had clearly had a really challenging week, I mean, I just knew the Facebook side of it. You can imagine what this family had gone through this week. And yet when they had the opportunity to come into the presence of God and sing praise and worship to him, they were there and they were present and they were worshipping. Because our worship And our rejoicing in the Lord is not dependent on our current situation. Our current environment, whatever is happening in our lives, is not the thing that depends on whether we can rejoice and be glad in the Lord. But true joy, true worship, true praise doesn't come from our outward situation but comes from an inward relationship with Jesus Christ. In the Tony Evans Study Bible, it says this, the difference between joy and secular happiness is that the latter depends on what happens. It is circumstantially driven. So if things are going in an upward direction in life, you feel up. But if things are going down, you feel down. 
This keeps you on an emotional roller coaster. Biblical joy, by contrast, has to do with stability and celebration on the inside, regardless of circumstances on the outside. We must choose to rejoice in order to experience the joy God promises us. And already within our service, from Jess who was worship leading and the the prayer that Tim led us in, it's a reminder for us that we don't have to have everything worked out. Our lives do not have to be perfect in order for us to rejoice in the Lord. We don't have to put on a fake smile and be happy all the time. Rejoicing in the Lord is a depth of spirit, an acknowledgement that we worship a God who is stable and faithful and the same yesterday as today as tomorrow. And Paul, who is the writer of this letter, was all too aware of the situations around him not being perfect, and yet he still says to rejoice in the Lord always. This letter that he was writing to the people in Philippi, as we've mentioned over this series, he was actually in prison, potentially chained to a guard 24-7. In terrible situations, he didn't even know if he was going to get out of prison alive. And yet here he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I mean, he was very aware of the situation that he lived in. He was in a culture that did not support or celebrate or encourage a faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, it persecuted it. He lived under the rule of a Caesar who saw himself as a God and wanted praise and worship to be done to him as to to, uh, a whole heap of other gods as well. Not only that, but we read throughout the, the series as we've looked at Philippians, we've been reminded that there were even arguments and division within the faith communities themselves. There were one group who said that you had to do one thing one way and another group that said to be a follower of Jesus, you had to do it another way. Even within the faith, there were disagreements and arguments and division. Just a couple of verses before Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. He addresses two leaders and and asks them to sort out their differences for the sake of the church and for the sake of the faith. Our external situations are not always ideal. Our lives are not always perfect. And yet Paul reminds us to rejoice in the Lord always. A depth of joy. A reminder that we have a God who is always there for us. A God who loves us, is committed to us, no matter what our situation may be. And so Paul reminds us to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again rejoice. And he goes on, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Paul is aware that how people act impacts upon other people and gives an impression of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. How we act, how we speak, what we say, how we respond to things, all shows those around us of what is important to us and therefore what is important to God. But it's really interesting that Paul uses this word gentleness. It's, there's a meekness to it. There's a, there's a calmness about this word. Now, I don't know about all the people that were around Paul. Paul seemed like a pretty feisty guy himself as you read through his letters. But I wonder whether here Paul is actually encouraging us to make sure that we are palatable to those who we are around. There's a saying that uh, you're, you're so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly use. You're so consumed in, in the Christianese and the ways of doing church and, and the ways that, that we think we should live and what we say that we can create a disconnect between ourselves and our neighbours, and our colleagues, and the families at school, and even our own family. Let your gentleness be evident to all, that how we speak, and how we act, how we move, what we do, is showing people how we should ought to live according to Jesus Christ. And it makes them aware and it makes it achievable for them to think too, wow, if this is how they're living, maybe I could live that like that as well. Maybe I could, could gain all the, the rejoicing that they're doing through how they are living. Because we live in such a way that we are reminded that the Lord is near. You see, for, for Paul and the people he was speaking to, being reminded that the Lord is near was incredibly important. I mean, they'd just come out of potentially 500 years of feeling that there was no movement from God between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Before Jesus came, there was like a, an emptiness, a silence, a lack of prophets, a lack of you know, outward, amazing, miraculous signs that we read about in the Old Testament. And then when the Messiah did come, when Jesus Christ came and declared himself as the Messiah and people put their faith in him, then he went and was crucified on a cross. Even he came, but then went. And where is their hope and the reminder that the Lord is near? Paul is reminding the people that our God is near. He promises to always be with us. That the Messiah rose again and promised to never leave us or forsake us. You see, today, in our Western world, I actually think that we need a reminder that the Lord is near. Not because we think he wasn't around. But if you've grown up in church, if you've grown up in a faithful family, 
You might have been hearing that the Lord is near for your whole life like I have. And so often we can become complacent that we acknowledge that the Lord is near so much that we forget how important that is. We forget how that can actually shape and change our lives. Alec Moitier says, the presence of God can become a creedal formula rather than a living reality. Theoretically, we know that he's with us. Experimentally, we forget him. And lacking a vivid sense of his presence, we fall into sin and slackness, which would surely not mar our lives if we were sharply conscious of the Lord alongside. Hence, we have a real need to know that the God of peace is with us. The God of peace is with us. Have you ever noticed that children change their behavior according to who they're around? Like if a child is with their parents, they will act very differently to if they're with their teachers and act differently again as if when they are around their friends. And let's be honest, it's not just children who change their behavior according to who they are around. Jesus does not want to be a disciplinary teacher with a rod of steel, always on your back, tapping you on the shoulder, reminding you that he is present so that you stand up straight. But the God of peace is near, is always with us to give us discernment and wisdom to love us and accept us, to give us grace and mercy when we fail, to give us direction and purpose and discipline when we need it. The Lord is near, is something that we need reminding daily because when we truly live as if God is alongside us, It changes how we think, it changes how we act, it changes how we speak. And it changes us in such a way that it brings gentleness to those around us. And Paul goes on to say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This anxiousness that he speaks of, this stress, this worry, this fear, it's right on our doorsteps all the time. And yet, it is in contrast to the joy that Paul desires for us to have in the Lord. For if we are worrying, if we are stressed, if we are anxious and fearful, it makes it so much harder for us to rejoice in the Lord. But our world is surrounding us with things that bring on anxiety and fear and stress and worry. Even as I was sitting down to prepare my sermon this week, I read through the passage and I oh caught myself on this one. 
oh, okay, thank you for the reminder, Lord. But God doesn't leave us on our own. This isn't a don't worry, be happy, just get over it kind of verse. No, he says, don't be anxious, but in every situation, bring your requests to God. He doesn't say when you've got all your mess worked out, then bring your requests to God. He doesn't say only when you are in the pit of despair, that's when you can bring your requests to God. No. In every situation, bring your requests to God. And life gets busy. And so often, maybe it's just me, we try and do things in our own strength before asking God to bring his strength to our situation. But this isn't what this verse is saying. In every situation, bring your requests to God. Is there something in your life that you need to bring to God today? Because life can get busy and we are so full of different things throughout the week. Often we forget to bring our requests to God. Maybe you've just forgotten to bring it to God. Maybe there is something in your life and you're still trying to cope with it and get your head around it and you suddenly think, oh, well, I haven't even, haven't even prayed about that yet. Maybe there's something in your life that you just think is too big. You can't even get your head around it. You haven't even thought to bring it to God yet. It's too big You don't even know how to get out of it. So how can you ask God to help you get out of a situation? Maybe there's something in your life that is just really small. And you think, oh, it's too small to bring to God. I mean, he's the creator of the universe, right? I mean, he's dealing with developing countries, with children that are starving, And I just have this little request. No, I I won't bother him with it. No. In every situation, bring your request to God. If it matters to you, it matters to him. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past It doesn't matter if you've forgotten to bring it to him and you've been trying to deal with it for weeks already. It doesn't matter if it's so big that you don't even know the words to pray. It doesn't matter if it's so small that it seems petty to bring to God in prayer. Paul reminds us that in every situation, bring your requests to God. If it matters to you, it matters to him. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have you ever spoken to someone of faith before? And they said they had to make a really big decision. And when they finally made the decision, they just felt an incredible peace that gave them the affirmation that they needed 
that they'd made the right decision. Have you ever prayed a prayer where you haven't even received an answer to that prayer yet, but you just feel a peace? A peace that goes against anything that your outward uh, situation is presenting to you, but a peace that you feel to give you assurance, to give you confidence, to give you the knowledge that God is near. It's a peace that God gives us. It's often beyond our understanding, but it's a peace that he is actively and almost aggressively desiring to have over our hearts and minds. Paul uses the word guard, that this peace will guard your hearts and your minds. This is a military term. This is a garrison, it's a guard, it's something of protection. That there is something so precious here that God is willing to build a barrier between us and that which would stop the peace of God from receiving. Alec Mottier says in this very dramatic explanation of this word guard, this is a picture of a besieged citadel. It is the castle of the mind of the Christian. If the castle can be held, progress in sanctification and renewal goes forward. If it can be captured, then backsliding and spiritual decadence begin. But it is garrisoned strongly. Its walls are constantly patrolled. Its centuries never sleep at their posts. The troops are the household guards of the King of Kings and they march behind the standard of the peace of God. Meanwhile, inside the citadel, hearts and thoughts alike are kept in quietness for their companion is the King himself the God of peace who is with them. God values your hearts and your minds in such an important way that he desires with his peace to guard them, to protect them, to defend them. Because let's be honest, our world does not always give us peace. Our situations that we live and breathe in are not often encouraging of peace and calmness. But the God of peace, who desires for us to live in such a way that we have the assurance of his love and his acceptance that he is always near us. And he desires for us to have that, for the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. I don't know if any of you remember the game Tetris. Came out in the 80s, 
certainly big in my life in the 90s. This was like a really, uh, like addictive game. For those of you who live a better life than me and don't know about this game, what you had to do is you were given a shape and you had to put the shape in lines so that you had a full line of blocks. And when the, the line was full of blocks, it would disappear and all your blocks would drop down because you didn't want your blocks to reach the top of the screen because when they did, the game was over. And so as you were given new shapes, you had to try and find where you would put them in your blocks of blocks to create a line so the game would continue. I spent quite a bit of time on this game. Quite liked myself a bit of Tetris. Have a fairly addictive personality and so the challenge and as soon as your blocks hit the top, you're like, oh, I'll do better the next time and you'd start a new game. I got into playing this game so much that even when I was not playing this game, I would see blocks of Tetris in my everyday life. I would be reading a book and the last sentence of the paragraph would stop shorter than the rest of the paragraph. And I would think if I had a block that was shaped long with a bit on the end, that would fit in perfectly and then I would get a full row and then I would realise I am thinking about Tetris while I am reading a book. Our minds are so powerful to what we think and what we do. Our thoughts, our minds, what we read, what we watch, what we think about comes into our whole lives. And so Paul is reminding us, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. He, this isn't an exhaustive list. So he kind of puts a catch-all on it. He says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, these are the things we need to think upon. Because Paul knew the power of our minds and when we think upon these things, they come out in the rest of our lives. Whether you are reading a book, whether you are at work, whether you're at school, whether you're in your neighbourhoods, whether you're in your families, if we are thinking on the things that are excellent and praiseworthy, then it comes out in the rest of our lives. And it's not just excellent and praiseworthy things that we see in church, but God is through all things. You can go out into your neighbourhoods and see excellent and praiseworthy things. You can be meeting with your friends and see excellent and praiseworthy things. You can be at work. You can be at the gym no matter where you are. If we are thinking upon these things at all times, we notice them even more in other people and other situations. And they come out in our lives in every single way. And so Paul finishes, whatever you have learned 
or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. These verses are not just nice words to live by. They're not just something that we can put in a cross stitch and put up on our shelf. They're not just something that is nice to read or affirming for us to be reminded of. Paul says, put it into practice. Live it out in your everyday life. Every moment of every day, aim to be living out these things, rejoicing in the Lord, being gentle towards other people, reminding ourselves that the Lord is near, not to be anxious or stressed or worried, but to bring everything to God in prayer, reminding ourselves of the peace of God which transcends all understanding that he desires for us to have in our hearts and our minds and in all things to think upon things that are excellent and praiseworthy. And that even if you fail to do it yesterday or today, to put it into practice for tomorrow and the next day. Because when we are living these things out in our life, we are being reminded over and over that the Lord our God, who loves us, who is near us, who desires for our hearts and our minds to be always turned towards him, gives us a peace and an assurance and a love that nothing in this world could ever give us. Will you pray with me as we finish? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these incredible words that the Apostle Paul has given us through your scriptures. We thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit who speaks to us in our everyday life and desires for us to turn our hearts to you. God, in this moment, as we have thought upon these various verses in Philippians chapter 4, Holy Spirit, we ask that you will prompt in our hearts and our minds. What is it that you want to speak to us today? What is the one thing that really resounded with our spirit? What's the one thing that as we heard all these verses, we thought, oh, we caught our breath. We caught our thoughts and we thought that, that's something that I needed for today. That's something that I need for my week ahead. God, prompt our hearts and our minds. Give us your peace, which transcends all understanding. And remind us of your words, Lord, so that we can put them into practice every single day. May they not just be nice words that we hear and we allow to wash over us. May they sink 
deeply into our hearts and our minds so that we can put them into practice, so that we can be reminded of the King of King and the Lord of Lords over our life. And we can live in such a way that all those around us notice a King of King and a Lord of Lords that is different to our culture, but brings a peace, a peace and assurance in such a way that we can do nothing but rejoice in the Lord. God, we give you our praise. We give you our honour because only you are worthy. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen.